Well, good morning. Good morning. Okay, there we go. I've got to make sure I don't trip up here. Oh, my word. Thank you, everybody, for bringing these in. And uh, feel free to grab another bag on your way out. I think Hagen was talking about and uh, bring some more back for us. So we do these grace baskets, some of you guys might be familiar with. And the idea there is it's a big laundry basket about a week's worth of food for those people in your life who you know that um, are going through a struggle, financial struggle. And um, what we do is we give them that food and whatever money they would put towards their food, it can maybe be used for their bills. But the key thing is it gives you guys the opportunity to connect with those in your life who need help and who may need the Lord. Um, and so we don't, just, we don't just throw food out for people. We want that connection, that personal connection. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's what the disciples, the apostles, and the early church did. I found this uh, by my door. It's a... Uh, Nerf dart, so I'm not sure if the f- students are threatening me. You know, they got their little battle going on with all men. So, <laughs> take that. Oh, I need surgery. Surgery on my arm. Anyway. Real, real quick, actually, before you get started, we're going to totally derail your train of thought this morning. Yes, it is. It is. But that's why you have the Holy Spirit. Um, actually, I'm not talking. I'm not. <laughs> we, got, we got Stan bringing the message this morning. If you guys, we'll give you. So, I've, I've, done, I've done my job, so I'm going to hand this off to Stan. He's already good. Stan, good yeah, luck. Good luck. No, I, got a, I had someone write this ahead of time for me so that I don't. Cup so I can hear you. All right, here. It's, it was pretty Can I sit down? Yeah, you can sit down. Good. <laughs> I know you all were expecting to hear from Harold, but uh, I needed to interrupt for a moment. Uh, maybe, maybe a few moments. I know I'm up here talking and not getting paid by the word, by the way. <laughs> but I want to say is from all of us, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and we know how much Pastor Harold <clears throat> means to all of us. <laughs> but we won't we don't always take the time to tell him just how much we appreciate him. <laughs> we show up on <laughs> You're not gonna get through this. Right. <clears throat> we show up at the church on Sunday or on Thursdays for Bible study and everything is ready to go. We don't think about all the hard work that Pastor Harold puts in behind the scenes every single day to make all this happen. <laughs> Notice the pews? There's a pews in there. That's his Baptist days. The long hours, the six, seven days a week that he puts in every single week. The phone calls, the text messages, the emails, the counseling that he does in addition to everything else on a weekly basis. It's easy for us to take all these things that he does for granted. But Pastor, we want you to know uh, just how much we love and appreciate everything you do for us day in and day out. You work tirelessly, and we want you to know that you're loved, and that we don't want you to take take you or the things you do for granted. Oh, careful! <laughs> I also need to acknowledge Kim and all the amazing work she does. Uh, Kim, can you and Harold come up here? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're a stand, standing ovation even. 
Kim, you are just as critical and crucial to our church family, and we know how hard you work every week as well, from running the women's Bible study to heading the women's ministry and putting all the various church projects together like the fall festival. And of course, the most important job was keeping Harold in line. <laughs> you two are an amazing example of how to live God's life God's way, and we are very grateful for the example you set. To show our appreciation, we took up a collection for you and Kim to use. Toilet paper? For toilet paper. <laughs> on your next vacation, whenever that may be, so that you two can get some much-needed time and much-deserved rest and relaxation. So thank you for so much for everything you two do. You mean so much to us, and please enjoy this small gift from us, and make sure you come back. <laughs> thank you. Well, here, no, you take that. You can take that home with you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Okay, that was a surprise. I, usually I find things out, but this time I didn't find that one out. I just thought I could make a funny comment about the toilet paper, but I won't. <clears throat> so, um, anyway, so where was I before I was so rudely interrupted? Um, yeah, so it's our, our last week of Family Hacks. Appreciate that. Um, and today we're going to be giving children <clears throat> a hack to make their life uh, more simple, or simpler, I guess is the way to say it, and more efficient. But here's the thing. If you have parents alive today, you are a child, all right? So you still have some responsibilities. Not just talking about the kids in our homes, but it's also we're going to talk to we who are adults, but are also... Um, have parents who are still here, and uh, just <clears throat> interesting, today is a one-year anniversary of my mom passing, um, so Kim and I are going to take off uh, for a few days and go see my dad, spend some time with him, give my brother and his wife uh, a break. Uh, my brother already took off, he heard we were coming, boom, gone, he's in Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> took off to go see his, one of their kids that lives up there, their family, and then my Sister-in-law, I'm taking her to the airport tomorrow. She's going to go out to Pennsylvania to visit another one of their kids and theirs. But before I do that, um, I, want to, I want to thank you, and I also want to challenge you. Uh, this is all free, so this isn't part of my getting paid by the word. This is actually this volunteer. This is volunteer work that I'm doing. But first of all, I just want to thank um, all you who are uh, members of our church. Uh, those who are members are those who have voluntarily said, hey, we want to be a part. We want to commit ourselves to uh, helping Grace Point uh, accomplish what God's called us to accomplish, and they do that. They have a, a series of things that we ask them to voluntarily commit to, and two of the really important ones are that they would um, give sacrificially, financially, and that they would serve faithfully in our ministry. <clears throat> and so we've come through, you know, a couple rough years, and I was talking with Kim's, some of Kim's relatives came down yesterday to visit from Michigan, and they're like, so, so how's, the, how's church going? I'm like, good. How did COVID affect you? you guys, like, lose people? No. No, we grew. <laughs> They're like, really? Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> just really want to uh, thank you who are members and road attenders who have made that choice, that commitment to do that. Um, it's part of the spiritual growth process that the Bible says, God says that we need to be doing in our lives. Um, and so thank you. And also regular attenders who come here on a regular basis, um, Many of you give financially, so I want to thank you as well. It gets us positioned well for 2022 and, and beyond, and 
going to be sharing some things that, some plans that we're working on and praying about and asking God to give us some direction on. Because uh, again, we want to do what God wants us to do as a church. Um, and I've been reading in the Proverbs recently about we can have plans, but God's the one who directs our steps. And so we're, we're doing that, and we'll be sharing those over the next several weeks. Also, another cool thing. On Thursday nights during our Bible studies, uh, 7 o'clock, we have almost half of our average regular attendance on a Sunday morning attending Thursday nights. That's unheard of in churches, that they would have that many people from a church coming on Thursday nights. So I just want to encourage you who don't come on Thursday nights, we talk a lot about how do you know God's Word, how, you, how can you take it home and know God's Word. That's where we really break things down. The guys meeting here, the ladies meet. Uh, in the quad, the youth are meeting all over the place. Um, you know, we've got nursery going. We want to get children's ministry going on a Thursday night. So that's really where we kind of break things down, and we get to know each other. We get to pray for each other, and it's, it's a great way to connect with people on a different level than a Sunday morning might give us. So I just want to encourage you who are, who are not coming. Uh, again, awesome percentage, but um, each one of us needs to be involved in that. Um, and again, that's one of the things we talk about members, it's kind of an expectation for members as well to be a part of that. Here's the challenge. <clears throat> so whenever I teach on something, especially things that are uh, a little more controversial, and we've been doing some real controversial stuff, going through James, going through you know, social issues, and, um, and even now family hacks and what God says about families, it's not at all how the world operates and how a lot of Christians operate. Um, you know, last week talking about divorce and conflict and, and all that kind of stuff, just not what the world talks about. And so inevitably what happens is I'll, I'll teach on something. Again, we, we pull it right from God's Word and we try to take what they understood in the first century and apply it to today's uh, world. And I, I'll get somebody or some people will come up to me during the week, usually, maybe even on a Sunday or during the week, and they'll talk about whatever it is we talked about, but in their life, and their scenario, and oftentimes it's like, is there an exception for this one? You know, so I know what you talked about, generally speaking, but here's my specific thing: is there an exe- exe- exemption? Pardon me, exemption for me, or for my situation? Is there? Can I do life some other way, based on whatever my scenario is? And, and please don't hear me say, don't ask me that question ever again. Feel free to do that. Feel free to ask that question again. But I'm going to give you a kind of a heads up of where I'm going to go with the answer right now, <laughs> okay? Just so you know, because this is crucial. This is important for us to understand. So here, here's the first thing, because as professing Christians, we've given our lives to Christ, and so that every relationship that we are involved in, whatever relationship you want to come and talk to me about, Every relationship, the reason why God has you in that relationship as a Christian is to represent Christ and to draw them to Christ for salvation if they don't know him or to help them grow in their relationship with Christ if they do know him. Every single relationship that you have, no matter how close the relationship is, no matter how acquaintances the relationship is, I'm not sure if that's even a word. So, that's, what you're, that's why God, God saves us and keeps us here. He doesn't save us and take us to heaven for a reason. So first thing is this. Jesus didn't sin. So if we're supposed to represent Christ, and this is how we're supposed to. Jesus didn't sin in response to we who sinned against him. 
So when Christ was on earth, those people who were literally in his face, um, physically sinning against him, he never sinned against them. When we've sinned against him, he's never sinned in his response to us. So that crabby, uh, angry, um, disconnected person in your life, whoever it might be, that sin that they're doing towards you, as a Christian, you don't have the right as a Christian to respond back in a crabby, frustrated, disinterested kind of way. It, our salvation never justifies us sinning against somebody else, no matter how bad their sin is against us. It's what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for a bunch of people who never accepted him or will accept him in the future. So we can't respond back. God has forgiven us of our sins, past, present, and future. We're right before him. We're going to get to go to heaven one day. But the person who you're attempting to love to Christ, if they're not a believer, if they haven't placed their faith in Christ, the Bible says they're going to spend eternity in hell. So a little discomfort on our end should be okay on our end because we're going to live for eternity in heaven without any of this problems, without, without any of this frustration. Secondly, Jesus on the cross isn't just a theological concept. It's not some biblical illustration of how sacrificial is supposed to look. Jesus is God the Son, really God, who became man, really a man, who died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. It actually happened. He actually was punched, spit on, called names, slapped, cat of nine tails ripped around his side and shredded him and then hung on a cross. That actually happened. He felt that pain. God felt that, and again, blows our mind to think about it, but he, he, God felt the separation as God the Son took our sin, our e infinite amount of sin that we've committed against him on himself. So he gets our pain. He gets that. And by the way, we'll never suffer to the extent that he did. But he gets it that some relationships in our life are frustrating and irritating. They cause pain. So he gets that. He's 100% behind us. But it's just that that is to draw them to us so we can draw them to Christ. Just as Christ's pain drew us to him. And then lastly, God didn't save us. God didn't call us into a relationship with himself to make our life easy. Now I get that this is, this is not the way to win friends and influence people. This is not the way to build a religion. To say, hey, come to God and your life's going to be harder. But that's really what happens. Because as you guys are finding out, doing life God's way is hard. You've got to love people that are not very loving. It would be so much, e so much easier to just punch them. Right? I mean, but we don't, we don't have that um, allowance. God's called us into a relationship with him so that we can understand who he is, get to know him better, to, to grow in that relationship with him because it's through that that we get to know him better. Jesus says that we get to uh, have the same joy that he has. 
as, as he went to the cross on our behalf, we can be one with God in that sense. Not that we become God. I always got to say that because some people say, your church teaches that you become God. No, we do not become God. But we do have God's Holy Spirit in us and we can be empowered by him. Look at First Peter 2.21. A letter that Peter wrote to Christians who were being persecuted in the relationships that they had in their homes. Marriage relationships, parental relationships, governmental relationships, work relationships, neighbor relationships, church relationships. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do, but when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. God finds favor. He's pleased with us. He's like, yeah, that's my child acting just like Jesus. That's exactly what I'd love to see. Now, it also has the idea that he's going to be there. He's going to be providing for you. He's going to be um, giving you what you need to give to that person whatever it is that they need. He's not going to leave you hanging. That's what God the Holy Spirit's all about. That's what God's word is given to us. And then Jesus prays his prayer. A prayer for disciples, including us, who will be persecuted through the relationships that they're having. He says, but now I come to you. Jesus praying to God, not because he needed to do that, but because he wants to give us an example that we need to be doing that. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. He's praying for us who are going to be persecuted by those in our lives and saying, I want them to experience my joy in the midst of that. And that's how we actually experience his joy in the midst of that. So what I'm saying is this. Jesus gets that doing life his way is hard. He gets it because it was hard on him. Infinitely more difficult than it is for us. He died for your and my infinite amount of sin against him. Because when you sin against an infinite God, your sin is infinite. But he did it to draw us to God for salvation. And then, now we get to experience that same thing in order for us to draw closer to God and experience him at work. We're going to be sharing some things for our church, but also in your own life. You, you want to be able to look at your life. We want to, as a church, be able to look at what God's doing and say, that was God at work. There's no way, no way in the world that was that me or we as a church doing that. We want to be able to look and say, yeah, that had to be God because there's no way that, that I, want to, I want to smack that person. So it's not me, but it's God working through me. And now that person's come to Christ or, or I've at least grown closer to the Lord through the experience. Or if it's a believer, they've drawn closer to the Lord. All right, so that's my challenge. Again, free, free advice. Um, so let's look at this uh, children's hack this morning. Because again, a child may come up to me or an adult child may come up and say, well, what about my circumstance? So I've kind of just laid the framework for it. So we're going to do a children's hack, and here's the children's hack. Children, we should do like, we should have all the kids come sit down here. No, I won't do that. <laughs> what the, okay, children, this is fun. I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to you guys. Obey and honor your parents. So we're going to be talking to kids in the home first, and we're going to be talking to adult children after that. But here's where we... Part of one of the passages in Scripture where we get that. Ephesians 6, it says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So now it goes back to the Old Testament. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long and prosper. No, live long on the earth. It's not live long and prosper, but something similar to that. So he's talking to children. And in this case, he's talking to kids who are not old enough to get married or they are old enough to get married and they're living in their parents' home. So in the first century, context, first century, children, what we would say as young as 13, 14, 15, 16, early teens, is when they got married. A boy became a man when he was 12, and there was an expectation that soon after that, once he learned to trade and all that kind of stuff, he would get married. So he's in his early teens. The girls were even younger. And so they would, the parents would say, hey, you know, my child I think would fit well with your child. And this parent would say, yeah, I, I agree with you. And then they'd get together. They'd put their children together. So when the Bible says, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands, they were going into it cold turkey. I mean, they might have known the family and that kind of thing. But they, they didn't date. Dating happened in the early 1900s, which I know sounds a long time ago to some of you, but it wasn't that long ago for some of us. Even me anymore. It's just like, oh my word, I'm getting so old. Um, but in Genesis 2.24, so God's ideal for marriage, he says uh, that the man is supposed to leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and to become one flesh. Right? We're going to talk about it a little bit later, but not right now. And then throughout the Bible, it, it, again, the Bible doesn't necessarily say, thus saith the Lord in this, but as you read through the Bible, what seemed to happen was older unmarried children who were still in home, they seemed to obey their parents, and then those who had left their home, they, they didn't seem to obey their parents necessarily. They didn't have to obey their parents, another way to put it. Again, we're going to talk more about adult children in a bit, so let's still focus on those that are in home. So it says to obey and honor. That's the responsibility for children that are in the home. Obey means to follow the instructions. Pretty simple, right? Whatever the parents say, or like we talked about when we were doing parenting, whatever the grandparents say, if the grandparents are raising the grandchildren, whatever they say, that's what the children need to do. The grandchildren need to do. They just they follow the instructions. Notice he doesn't say when you like the instructions, <laughs> when it's fun to do, but even when it's not fun to do. It's all times. It's it's this continual idea of obeying and and honoring. So honoring is showing respect. It's holding up in high regard. And so it's it's not just um, doing what you're told to do. It's doing, with, doing it with a good attitude. Honoring has this idea of also of not trashing your parents or your grandparents to other people. Um, yeah, when talking about obedience. So obeying, Kim used to always tell the kids this, slow obedience is still disobedience. And I, I thought about it, and I'm like, actually, that's actually true. That's, that's actually a good thing to say. Because what's slow obedience? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, and then I would come and come on, move, you know, okay, they hurried up. Slow obedience is just a bad attitude. Your parents ask you to do something, you do it. And Paul reminds us that um, you're not just doing it for your parents, you're doing it for the Lord especially if you're a Christian, if you're a kid who's come to Christ and you say you've placed your faith in Christ. Because he says, do this in the Lord. 
And when he says that, which by the way, everybody in the family has a responsibility before the Lord to do their responsibility and their role his way. We've talked about it all during family hacks. Dads, moms, husband, wife, children, everybody has a responsibility before the Lord. It means they're going to answer to the Lord one of these days for how they did what they did. Children, same thing with you guys. You're going to answer to the Lord one of these days for how you were a child, how you responded to how you were being raised. Again, my kids understood that because we talked about it a lot, about everyone's responsibility. But understand, God is aware of your situation. God knows what's happening in your situation. God's an all-knowing God. God's an all-seeing God. God gets what's happening in your situation, whatever you're finding yourself in. And he says, the best way to handle that, I know what everybody else is telling you to do, what all your friends are telling you to do, how your friends treat their parents, but what I'm telling you, the guy who designed family, this is the best way for you to do it. This will cause you to become the, the, the person that I want you to become, who's going to be the most um, able to respond to life the way I want you to respond. If you remember, if you were here the last couple of weeks, First Peter, we've been in this a lot because this has a lot to do with relationships. But last week we looked at this First Peter 3.12. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. So in this specific situation, the eyes of the Lord, children, the eyes of the Lord are towards you who are doing it his way. Okay, so he's got his eye on you. And his ears attend to your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, who don't do it God's way. So you have a choice to make. Do you want to have God's face against you, which means to have his discipline? It's kind of like, you know, when your parents and grandparents go, right? And they're like, oh boy, someone's going to explode. Now, the great thing about God is that his anger isn't out of control. His discipline is not out of control. And typically what happens is that he just gives us the outcome of the, the consequences of the decisions that we, we make. We want God's eyes on us. We want him to be aware of us. We want, we want him to be listening to our prayers and giving us what we need to do it God's way. The last point, he says, or, oh, no, actually a big point here. Almost skipped this. Here's the other cool thing. The more, almost maybe to me, kind of, more important than anything. Kids, the, the, your friends, if you take a moment and kind of just step back and just kind of evaluate the situation in your friends' homes, I would, I would guess the vast majority of them are in disarray. It, your friends are frustrated with their parents. Their parents are having problems. There's this conflict in their home because they're not doing it God's way. And so there's a bunch of conflict if, if, especially if you're a Christian, what you want is you want your kids to come over to your house and you want them to see what a God-empowered um, family looks like. What does a family look like that has God as the one that they're all trying to, to live life for? Because what's going to happen is they're going to come into your home if you're doing that and they're going to sense something different. It's going to be peaceful in your home. You might not sense it, but I guarantee you they will. I've heard of this happening numerous times and it's happened in our family numerous times. I've talked about this. I'm going to kind of go real quick if I can. So there was a family in our neighborhood back in the day when we lived in Fremont and the kids used to play with our kids and then the, the parents, uh, one was a believer, one wasn't, but the one that was a believer wasn't really you know, going to church or anything. Um, so they said, hey, could our kids come over to your house before school 
and could our kids walk with your kids to school just to make sure they, they're okay because they had working schedules and that kind of thing. We said, yeah, sure. So they came over. Well, what that caused is that for their kids, they had to sit around our table while I did the family devotions, right? So Ellie heard me say this, and so she gave me, we, we got this. So the keys for kids, this is what we do to do with the kids. So if you're interested in keys for kids, children's ministry has them. We would sit down, and each day, we would read through the kids for kids, or keys for kids, and then we would pray together as a family. And sometimes our kids actually prayed in front of their friends, which my kids were like, oh, dad, really? Yeah, yeah. Because you're not all disciplined. You know, I didn't do that. Here's the cool thing. The, the son, the, the, the boy in this family, is now um, an ordained minister. He's actually in the army as a chaplain. Because eventually, when he got into high school, he decided to start attending Fremont, got into the youth group, accepted Christ. Now, I'm, I'm not saying Kim and I had some super magical powers on this. No, we just did life God's way. And now we've got this kid in our life. Well, he's an adult with kids on his own. But, you know, we've got this guy in our life that we can look to and say, wow, God, we were, we were part of that, about him coming to Christ. And he looks back on it and he says, yeah, a lot of that, just hearing something different in life than what we knew before. Anyways. And the last point he makes is it, that there's a promise. This is the only uh, commandment of the Ten Commandments that has a promise. And he says it'll go well with you and you'll live long on the earth. So what does that mean? It'll go well with you. It, that has this idea that it's going to be good or beneficial and it's specifically focused in on relationships. So what's that mean? It means that if you do life God's way, if you obey and honor your parents as a kid, it's going to go well with you. It's going to be beneficial for you. Number one, you're going to have a better relationship with your parents or grandparents than, than you could have had. And that's what you want. Because when you become an adult, you want your parents or grandparents to be friends. You want them to be able, you want to hang out with them, enjoy their company, not have this tension that's been there since you were a little kid. You know, so he, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be beneficial for you and your relationship. But it's also going to cause you to understand how you can better obey and, and honor teachers or bosses or God when you leave the home. Right now, you know, there's a little stepping stone. You got your parents, but then you got God. So you kind of obey God through your parents. But eventually you're going to be outside of that, and now you're going to have to respond to God how he wants you to respond to your parents, obeying and with honor. And if you haven't learned to do it with your parents, you're going to struggle to do it with God. And then he says, you will live long on the earth. And this has the idea of, yes, a long life, but really more of a full life. These people were not living real long lives back in the day. But it's kind of this, this full life. This isn't connected with, you know, parenting 101. You've heard of rule number three. I, I brought you into this world, and if you don't obey me, I'm going to take you out of this world. It's, it's not connected with that. That's, that's man's idea. Uh, this, this has the idea that God's promising to protect you. God's promising to care for you. God's promising to give you what you need to be an obedient child in your home so that as you grow up, your life is going to be full. You're going to become an adult who is well-rounded, who's able to handle the challenges that are coming your way. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 2, I'm going to warn you, this is you know, 190 verses, so just hang on. I'm going to read all of it, so just stick with me. It says this, My son, so Solomon's talking to his child, 
He says, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Now he's talking about, he's giving him God's word here. It's not just Solomon's thoughts. He's giving him God's word. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. You're calling out to God. I need help to understand my parents. I don't get them. You know, if you're frustrated and irritated, go to God with it. He already knows you're frustrated and irritated, right? So just go to God with it. If you seek her, now he's talking about understanding. Again, this is kind of poetic writing. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord uh, and, not, uh, and discover the knowledge of God. In other words, kids, if you want to know who God is, this is how you do it. This is how you get to know who God is and understand who he is. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There's a bunch of people who want to give you wisdom. A bunch of people want to tell you how you should do things, but God's the one who does it. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of the justice, yeah, I'm going too fast. Guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Again, he's talking to children here. Then uh, you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. So now he's going to talk about what could happen in your life if you follow somebody else's wisdom? So discretion and understanding will deliver you from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Again, a lot of stuff that God's going to save you from. Deliver you from, this, deliver you from the strange woman. Now what he's talking about there, again, this is poetic. So it could easily be, and it probably is, um, you know, the adulterous woman, the, the, the prostitute, the, the pornography, the things that we would track down and be seduced into. But it also broadens, and he's, you read through the Proverbs, he's talking about really kind of man's perspective on life, how, how the world seduces us to do life their way as opposed to God's way. So for the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death. This is what happens if you follow this track. And her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you, if you follow what I'm saying, Solomon says, you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and, blameless, and, and the blameless will remain in it. And he's talking about God's protection and growth. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. And he's talking about the consequences of those who choose not to do God's way. In this case, being obedient to your parents, honoring your parents. So before I move on to adult children, there's always two things that, that come up, and it's this. First of all, some, some kids will come to me, as I was a youth pastor, this happened a couple of times, hey, what my parents are doing to me is abuse. And again, take that serious, right? And so what I'm encouraging, if that's your situation, if you're thinking about that, let me just encourage you to do something. And that is to first just pray, obviously take time with God and help, you know, you want God involved in this. But then find an adult that you trust and have that conversation with them. Let them know. Again, if it's someone here at our church, that would be awesome. You can come talk to me. But then let's kind of work through that because not all spanking is abuse. Okay? Now, but there is things that happen that is abusive. And so then they need to be kind of looked at. I'm not saying you have to spank kids. I'm just saying that, and again, we talked about it the last couple of weeks. And the second one is, 
um, is this. Uh, I don't like what my parents, I don't like my parents' rules. It's an exemption clause. I don't like it, so therefore I don't have to do it. So let me just give you a quick thoughts on that. Number one, pray. Pray for your parents. Pray and ask God to help them, or grandparents, help them to, to be the, the people that they need to be as those who are raising me. And then pray for yourself that you will be the person that God wants you to be, the child that God wants, wants you to be in that relationship. Then obey in order to build trust. What your parents want to understand is you will do what they say uh, for you to do. They know you're gonna, you'll do what you want to do. They want to know that you, they'll, you'll do what they want you to do. Why? Because eventually they're going to let off some of the reins and you're going to have to go through life and they want to make sure that you're going to do it God's way. They can trust you to do it. And so right now it's a whole training process and, and so you have to build trust and then negotiate. So go to them. Once you're building trust, go to them and say, hey, listen, this rule that you have me going on, you know, I'd like to negotiate on that. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. And then you guys talk about it, and they may come down one side or the other, may loosen up, may not, whatever the case, then you repeat. So however they responded, especially if they said, no, we're not going to do what you want, then go back, continue to pray, continue to build trust, and then have that conversation again. And just keep on doing that. Because in that process, they're going to become the, the, the parents that God wants them to become, you're going to become the child that God wants you to become, and you're going to eventually become the adult that's going to be responsive to God. All right, so let's talk real quickly. Got to kind of fly here again. Um, and that is adult children. So children at home, kind of easy to understand. Adult children gets a little bit uh, maybe messier, if you want to call it, or maybe a little more, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. So number one, Genesis 2.24 says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice, parents aren't part of the one flesh. Okay, we're seeing that, right? We're leaving our mother and father. So two adults get married. This is the easy answer. You guys become one flesh. You become one family. Now, some parents struggle with this. Some parents say, no, 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 you get married, but you still need to listen to me. You still, I still need to speak into your life. Now, you can do that with advice, but understand it's advice. It's not them having to obey you anymore. I know it's hard. I'm, I'm living it. And I got a lot of better plans for my kids than maybe what they're doing. I mean, they're doing pretty good. But like I was saying earlier, Sarah, you know, leaving Colorado to come to Fremont when we were still in Colorado, I... <laughs> Wait a second. You can't... And she was actually in our home, but she was old enough to be able to leave you know, and so I was like, eh, I'm not really sure that's the best idea, but she did it, and then the Lord brought us out, so that worked out <laughs> real nice for us, but, and then some married children, they have a hard time letting go of their parents, and so one of the spouses, I can tell you stories, one of the spouses will look to the parent to provide for them rather than their spouse, and that's a mess. God doesn't want either of those. What about older unmarried children who are still in the home. Now again, the Bible doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, but what we understand as we read through Scripture, that if a, if a, a child who is of meritable age living at home, it appears that they obeyed their parents, which makes sense. It's the parents' home. So if you are in that situation and they gave you a room, it's still their room. You know what I'm saying? Not living at home, although they don't have to obey their parents. It'd be good to go to them for advice maybe, but you don't have to obey. But you're still responsible to honor. 
Okay, and that's what I want to talk about next real quick. We're going to close up with this. So what do we as, as, as adults who have our own families, but our parents are still alive, what's our responsibility to them? And so I hope everyone understands our responsibility is to honor them, is to care for them. But in the first century, that's not the understanding that the Jewish people had because the Pharisees decided to take things, twist things, so that they could then hold on to all their wealth. And here's the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders? So they're saying, why aren't they listening to us? They're not talking about the Bible here. They're talking about what the Pharisees think about the Bible. But eat their bread with impure hands. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their list, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. In other words, they took their teaching about the Bible, their commentaries, if you want to put that, and they put that up on the same level as the Bible. The problem is their commentaries were wrong. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And here's one of the ways they did that. He was also saying to him, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have um, that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things like this. This is just one of the things that they did. We talked about divorce last week. It's one of the things that they did. Their ideas about divorce were they superseded God's. And so what is he saying here? Quickly, they, this Korban thing is, they said that, using Kim and me as an example, so whatever our wealth was, what we would do in order to keep our wealth and not have to, uh, to spiritualize not helping our parents, we would say, oh, all this is dedicated to God. This is for God's use. And so the Pharisees are like, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. That's what we're going to do. Everybody can do that. And so people were not caring for their parents because they were selfish and greedy and hanging on to their stuff. And God's like, Jesus is like, no, that's not at all what honor your father and your mother means. Honoring your father and mother means that you do what you need to do in order to help your parents as they get older and as they have, um, have health issues. Let me give you some coffee. I'm just kidding. If they have health issues or, or financial issues, or whatever, as they get older, we need to be coming around them and helping them and not hanging on to it. And then Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 5.4. And he says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety or godliness in regard to their own family and make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And so when it got into the church, what was happening, some of these practices were happening. And so these uh, widows were coming to the church saying, hey, we need your help. And the church is like, man, we're helping a lot of people. And so what, what God had them do was if a widow had family, the family was supposed to take care of her so that the church can then take care of those widows who didn't have family left. And so well, that's kind of how we operate around here. If somebody comes to our church for help, we had somebody do this here recently, and we, uh, we helped them. Um, actually, one of our families in our church stepped up and helped them, and, which is awesome. 
um, but I had a conversation with the individual. And I said, listen, I know you have a daughter and a son and a son-in-law and they have, you know, so you need to look to them for help. That's what the Bible says for us to do. So that's how we're supposed to respond. That we who are here and our parents are still alive, we're supposed to honor them. Of course, he said, don't speak evil. So we're not supposed to be trashing our parents. But really, we need to be caring for them, providing for them. It's going to look different for each of us. I got three brothers in Chicago who are taking care of my dad. My, oldest, my third oldest brother and his wife are kind of the primaries on that. My brother from Texas comes up periodically and spends a week with my dad. Kim and I are going to go out and spend a week to give my brother and his wife um, a break. And so it looks differently. So I, I can't give you specifics on how it exactly, but what it means is how do I best help my parents as they get older and we do that because God's called us to do that, to give some return for what they've done for us and how they've helped us. All right, as band comes up, here's, a, here's the takeaways for you. Go ahead and go to the, the one that has both up there, Greg. There you go. So children, commit to God that you're going to establish a relationship of trust with your, your parents or your grandparents. In other words, do life the way they're asking you to do it. And then show, by doing that, show your friends what a godly family looks like because your friends need to know that. And it's a great opportunity for you to share who God is, how God wants things to operate, and you're going to cause them to have a relationship, Lord willing, with Him and have their eternity set with Him. And then as adult children, you know, commit to obey to God, to, to honor your parents, to care for them as God would lead you to do, and as you have conversations with your siblings and other family members, what that looks like. Again, it's going to look different in each family, but do it in a way to represent Christ, to show Christ to those in your life. Logan? Logan?